Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist and joining me is the smartest man I know and editor of InformedAmerican.com, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, hello. Hey, Dave. Rodney, how are you? <laughs> I'm well, Dave. How are you? <laughs> Great, always great to talk to you. Yep. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, as we as we talk through uh, some of the some of the big topics going on, and always great to get your thoughts on what's happening. And uh, what's interesting today is a little bit of a wrinkle, and maybe maybe a step forward. Typically, um, just for those of you for those of you watching, uh, Rodney and I tend to confer on topics. We discuss. We we plan, we plan a little bit ahead to prepare. Um, uh, and well, certainly I plan a lot and I prepare a lot. Of course, I read a lot, as does Rodney. But today, uh, Rodney does not know what <laughs> the topics I'm about to throw at him. Uh, so have a little bit of fun there. Uh, but uh, of course, I know I'm not going to stump you because uh, you, you, consume, uh, you consume even more media than I do. And I, I consume a ton. Uh, you're always, uh, you're always, always reading uh, always and, and uh, doing a lot of writing. Now, Rodney, uh, how, many, how many newspaper subscriptions do you have? Uh, I have several. I mean, I've got three or four, but I, I tell you, everybody has a blind spot. My blind spot is local. I don't, yeah. I don't read the local news. And so, uh, I, I don't know. So, but international and national, I'm pretty good with. So you don't have like uh, Houston Chronicle or whatever it is. No. And that's what it is. And there's also a Galveston County paper and, you know, local things will happen that my family talks about and I've just got nothing. So what about the uh, homeowners association, homeowners association newsletter? Do you get that? I do not consume that, but I am on the Homeowners Association uh, Facebook page. Uh I don't post much of anything, but I do see what's going on. And for those of you that are interested, the current argument is over speed bumps Uh and putting them in. And some people want them and some people don't. And as you might imagine, uh, there is a group that says, hey, we've been here 30 years. We used to have them. We took them out. Let's Uh not do this over again. (laughs) Uh, Speed bumps are like... Well, I mean, they do serve a purpose. They do help, uh, but they are. Uh, I, I mean, I've got them in my neighborhood, and all usually uh, the city park that I go to a lot has these giant ones, and it's always like boom, 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 no matter how slow you go. And of course, uh, the, the really the ones that are the worst, I think, are the are the narrow ones that are high, and you just you just like. I don't know. I, I would be curious, Rodney. <clears throat> excuse me. I'd be curious to know uh, the extent to which those things damage the suspension in your car. Well, hopefully we don't find out in my neighborhood. So yeah. that's the kind of local thing I don't pay attention to. See, as, a, as, as, as the world has gotten crazier, Rodney, I've become more conspiratorial. So my mind <laughs> automatically goes to like, you know, the big mechanic industry who's maybe pushing for speed bumps, but we'll leave that aside now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rodney, let's get going on our topics. And I want to start with a light, with a light one. Um, this is funny to me anyways. This came, uh, news of this came out yesterday. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the former press secretary for President Trump, is uh, coming out with a new book. And one of the, I guess you call it an anecdote, <laughs> a story of, I guess, the, when they were visiting North Korea, Rodney, Trump joked Sarah Sanders should, quote, take one for the team after Kim Jong-un winked at her. Uh, President Trump <laughs> reacted with a joke, finding out North Korean leader Kim Jong-un had winked at uh, then press secretary Sanders and uh, told her, told Sanders that she should go to North Korea and take one for the team. Uh, Sanders claims in her book, Speaking for Myself, Faith, Freedom, and the Fight of Our Lives Inside the Trump White House. Uh, There's a quote here, a quote from, (laughs) the story goes from Trump, Kim Jong-un hit on you. He did. He effing hit on you. The president laughed after Sanders relayed the 2016 incident to him, to John Kelly, and they had a laugh about it. Um, Rodney, the question here, topic question, 
in light of the danger of the North Korean regime and their pursuit for nuclear weapons and uh, or holding nuclear weapons, continuing to produce them and maybe uh, sharing some of those secrets to, to rogue nations and them becoming a rogue nation themselves, uh, should, should Sarah Sanders have taken the president's advice in the name of world peace? Now, see, I didn't say anything there. I let you finish it just to see if you could keep a straight face and saying such a thing on camera. Luckily, I get the joy of sitting here and then saying, I'm not even going to dignify that one with a response. <laughs> it was a joke. It wasn't a question. It's four years ago. Four years, a million protests and light years ago. And we're going to let that one go and move on to the next thing. Well, this is, it is funny. I mean, I, I would, this is, this was, you know, this was a kind of a funny thing, right? I don't think there, there's no offense here. Is Listen, as long as Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders took this in, in good, you know, faith and as a joke and funny, I'm all about it. Yeah, uh, but, so. you know, so we'll just leave it there. As long as she felt nothing, but this was funny and, you know, kind of that comical thing, because I, I read in the review of her new book, you know, in my own voice that she relayed that, that incident. And so, yeah, as long as she thought it was funny, I think it's pretty funny too. Yeah, I think so too. All right, let's get on to a more serious topic, Rodney, something you wrote about on foreignamerican.com. Headline, California to create a panel to study reparations. Uh, the California uh, State Assembly passed legislation to require the state to set up a task force to study the impact of slavery in California and uh, then recommended the form of compensation that should be awarded or how it should be awarded, re be awarded and uh, who should be eligible for that compensation by the summer of 2023. Uh, Rodney, there's a quote here from uh, California State Senator Stephen Bradford saying, uh, if, the, if the 40 acres and a mule that was promised to free slaves were delivered uh, to the descendants of those slaves today, we would all be billionaires. I hear far too many people say, well, I didn't own slaves. That was so long ago. Well, you inherit wealth. You can inherit the debt that you owe African-Americans. African Rodney, what do you think of uh, California, California passing this? Uh, in, in the state to examine this and also maybe just expand this to the idea of this. There's been calls to do this nationally by Congress. What do you make of this? I think it doesn't work um, because if you're going to say that um, one part of society owes something to another part um, for a way that the country was set up at a time that it was not just legal, but it was the end of that particular institution uh, being essentially in existence on the planet for all of written history, um, then you have to say, look, this can't be about just one thing. If you're going to say this was a moral wrong, this wasn't a legal wrong because it was legal, of course, this mm. was a moral wrong and then you should make up for this. It's like, well, then we have to look at all moral wrongs. We can't look at just one. That makes no sense. And so if you're, if you're going to open that can of worms, you've got to open it all the way up. And when you do that, you, of course, create every aggrieved group in society and you're visiting the sins of the father on the son mm -hmm. and and you're going to set pieces of society against each other and it's going to end very very badly and that's just in the sense of saying hey this is a wrong that we want to address then you have to get into all the pieces of it well who who is is going to receive a benefit or is it only people who can trace all the way back? Are you saying that this is an aggrieved class for a general thing? And so everyone who uh, is black is going to be within this group, even if they showed up two years ago or 20 years ago or 200 years ago or 400 years ago. And so then you got to decide that. And then the other side, what about people who just showed up here and are, you know, I don't know, immigrants from Europe? What, what if they're German? And so they showed up three years ago. Are they paying something? I, and so you, you have some things you have to figure out there. 
And then you have to ask the other question of, well, what about reparations that have been paid? And we don't talk about it in that way, but that's exactly what reverse discrimination is about, is trying to lift up a group that was historically held down. And so you have to say, well, wait a second, we have now had 50 years of reverse discrimination in many areas. And so what is that worth? Well, you, now you have to assign a value. And then at the end of the day, say you got all of this done, say, which I, I don't think it's going to happen. But if you got all of this done, then what? Does the fact that someone, you say, well, you know, you're, you're going to pay a tax, right? And, and call the tax $10,000. I know that's not the number, but just call it that. The day after you pay that tax, then what? Because I can guarantee that there are a lot of people who would say, if this is going to be taken from me, then I get something in return, which is a complete washing of the hands of any responsibility to anybody going forward. I am done. Yeah. And we don't want that either. And so I think it just, I think it's a, terrible idea. So that's, yeah, that's sort of the one-time payment idea uh, and then don't ask again, but we, that's, that, that's not setting up anything good. Um, no. What about, uh, but Rodney, we've, uh, the American government has paid reparations to uh, Japanese internment camp victims, uh, some, some Native American groups. Some would say this is a natural extension of that. Uh, it's not uh, because paying reparations for slavery, you know, you're not talking about Jim Crow laws. You're not talking about voter disenfranchisement across the South, which did happen, of course, after Reconstruction. You're talking about paying for something that was a legal institution at the time. Was it legal to inter the Japanese, people who had done nothing against the Constitution, people who had done nothing wrong? And so uh, was it uh, legal to take the land from the Native Americans after you had made a treaty saying you're going to, you know, obviously keep this around and, and um, respect these borders? No, it wasn't. And so it's very different uh, from those things because you're trying to address a moral wrong, even though it was still legally allowed at the time. Mm -hmm. Ronnie, there's a, uh, in response to, because the end of your article, uh, you had just a little editorialized here where you said, uh, sorry, Bradford, to make it clear how it applies to millions of American families that arrived long after the Civil War. And this is something you touched on just a second ago. As for inheritance, though, in particular, uh, most people receive little or nothing from their parents and another uh, fact that Bradford doesn't address. Now, we've got a comment about that, Ronnie, that I'd like to read. On, on, on informedamerican.com, this one comes from uh, David Dunham, uh, mm -hmm. says, yes, not direct inheritance, uh, but white Americans uh, benefited greatly from the years of slavery, creating wealth that allowed the U.S. to become the largest economy in the world. Just because you didn't inherit most of your wealth directly from your parents doesn't mean you don't owe something to the years of slavery. And since then, systematic racism that created the large income disparity that we see between blacks and whites in America today. Some form of reparations is long overdue. It would go a long way to show that we all care, and indeed all lives matter, include, including black lives matter. Uh, well, we're in common for David Dunham. Dunham, uh, what is your reaction to that, Rodney? Well, I, I hear his point, right? It's in the words weren't exactly what he meant. I assume that he meant it's not that you inherited, it's actually that you continue to enjoy um, a different place in society. And I would say that we have tried as a society for many years to make the opportunity as equal as possible. We don't guarantee equal outcomes. And so you can look across many different people in this society of all different races and say, hey, show up, get the education, do the work, join join the society that's working and you have a possibility of succeeding. And so there are many different reasons why groups don't thrive and they have not been solved yet. And so I, I still don't think that reparations is going to make that happen.
Hmm. Now, I, I, I do take a little bit of issue with that line of reasoning, um, this idea, just go maybe going back to the quote uh, from Stephen Bradford, uh, that says, if the 40 acres and a mule that was promised to free slaves were delivered to the descendants of those today, we'd all be billionaires. Now, I, I don't agree with that logic. It's very, uh, I don't know if consequentialist is the right way, but it's basically drawing a, a line between the past and the present and assuming all things would be equal. I mean, just for example, what if, what if the 40 acres and a mule promise was given, but say they all went to Oklahoma and then it all got destroyed in the Dust Bowl? I mean, they wouldn't be billionaires, right? Wow. So I'm just I mean, saying- and that's, it, It's silly, right? Because what you're saying is whatever families were, were existing at the time would have been good stewards of it and all of nature would have behaved and you would have been able to take that and just compound it all the way to today. Right. Which we know, by and large, many families squander their wealth and, you know, <laughs> All sorts of things happen, right? It's, it's why you, you see, you know, wealth created and wealth destroyed over generations. And so... Um, yeah, we yeah. see that, don't we? Don't we? Sorry, but I think there's uh, actually some real evidence of this. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I remember reading this, the, the amount of families that... In other words, someone like, uh, uh, like the Morgan family or the Rockefeller family is very, very rare. Uh, families, they come from... They, they're poor, they get rich, and then within a generation or two, they're poor again, right? Doesn't, isn't that borne out? There, there is the research, and I apologize, I don't have the numbers at hand either, but if, re, if wealth is developed, then it takes X generations for that wealth to essentially bleed away. Mm -hmm. And I want to say it's two to three generations is the typical number where the wealth fades away. Interesting. Well, it's a very, uh, it, it is, I mean, we could spend more time on this topic, but we do have to move on. I appreciate you giving your thoughts, Rodney, on this. Uh, and certainly everyone that there, there was many comments on the website as well, uh, but I particularly yeah. want, wanted to isolate that one. So it is a... Uh, it's, it's, it's a complicated one and a lot, lots of different perspectives here. But let's move on, Rodney. Rodney, what I want to get to, question for you. Uh, I want to moving to the, to, the, to the election right now and the state of the race. Who is more accurate, Rodney? Is it election pollsters or the betting markets? As we've seen, uh, polls have changed a little bit. The race appears to be tightening, particularly I just saw a poll out of Pennsylvania that shows it much closer than, say, I uh, was reported a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it appears that Biden is still leading somewhere nationally between, I don't know, three to eight points, or maybe if the next Quinnipiac poll comes out showing him plus 30, I don't know. <laughs> but besides that, uh, but one thing we did see, Rodney, Rodney, dramatic. I know you've had your eyes on this and you wrote on this is the, the dramatic uh, closing or the tightening of the betting odds. It's almost uh, even money at this point as I'm looking at the real clear politics uh, average. It has Biden at about, I think, 50.3, Trump at 49.3. That's the current average on real clear politics. So question, Rodney, who's had, who has a better sense of the state of the race? Well, I think the polls have a pretty good sense of the state of the race. But remember, um, nationally, uh, Trump doesn't have to get 50% to win because of the way the electoral votes are set up. And so even if Biden is ahead by two or three percentage points, he's still in a losing position. You have to pull down to the battleground states for it to really make a difference. And those are the ones that are closing where uh, the polls, they, they give you a really good snapshot but they don't tell you where we're headed right now. And so you see these riots in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a battleground state. You see Minnesota, battleground state, some. And so there's, there's a real question there as to what's going on in these states with riots and, and people's opinions of law and order and how that might change. And they do help Trump. There's no question. And so I think what all of them are showing right now is that Trump is doing better and I have to believe that it's, it's two things. It is the riots. And I think the RNC helped him. I mean, the DNC was rather spare. It was 
um, really kind of a quiet affair. It was a very solemn affair and uh, really downbeat, you know, and, and kind of that, that hard scrabble thing, whereas the Republican National Convention was a celebration of America. Yeah. And it had the normal tropes in it. You know, if you don't vote for me, we're all going to zero and it's going to be horrible, blah, 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 blah. But, but it was still, you know, pageantry and look at this and aren't we great? And people want to feel good. They just do. Well, you mentioned that the Democrat National Convention didn't mention uh, rioting in the streets at all. And then uh, yeah. someone got the memo that, guys, this is a problem. And then this is what you've seen over the last couple of days, a very sharp turn in messaging. Uh, and to answer my own question, I think uh, the betting odds have a better of a of a closer of a better uh, pan on their pulse of what's going on. Because if you look back um, just a couple of months to say, uh, I don't know, January, February, Trump was, uh, was the favorite, according to the betting markets. Things took a dramatic turn. Things, uh, things crossed. Biden became favorite. At what time did this happen? Late May, Rodney. Late May, early June, when all this stuff, uh, all the craziness erupted. And then I think uh, people basically got tired of what's been going on, uh, the ongoing protests, which have turned violent into riots. And one more factor, Rodney, which I think you may have seen this chart, um, the correlation between COVID cases and Biden's odds of winning are, are highly correlated over the last few months. And as cases have fallen, so too have Biden's chance of odds. What do you make of that? And if, and if COVID continues to sort of fade away a little bit over the next month or two, could that have, an, will that have a, 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 such a tight uh, correlation going on to, to who can win this thing? I think it makes a difference. It's not COVID cases, though. It's, it's the, the, the things that come out of it. And so as the COVID cases fall, the economy opens more. And the economy is the thing that tends to drive presidential elections for incumbents, be it, you know, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And so if the economy is opening back up and people are feeling better about it, people have money in their pockets. I, I know not everybody, right? We still have a big unemployment issue, uh, but a lot of people have money in their pockets and the stock market is shooting to the moon. And so Trump has something to hang his hat on there, even though we've gone through this terrible downturn. And so if, if the COVID cases remain trending, if the trend remains where it's, it's trending lower, then I think that definitely does help them because people feel better about the economy. Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, Rodney, on the topic of uh, some of the violence we've been seeing on the streets and then the conventions, some of the after and some of the aftermath of that, and uh, in particular Trump's uh, acceptance speech, Senator Rand Paul was in the audience. And uh, as you, I'm sure you may have seen this too, but as the audience out of, uh, I believe the Rose, the Rose Garden uh, lawn was exiting, they were um, gently <laughs> harassed by the mob, uh, in particular, Senator Rand Paul, who was uh, uh, scared of it for his life, getting hounded by the mob as he left. And in response to that, uh, Senator Rand Paul, it, he appeared on a couple of news, uh, news programs saying that, uh, I got a quote here, my feeling is that there is interstate criminal traffic being paid for across state lines. They flew here on a plane. They all got fresh new clothes and they were paid to be here. It's a crime to do that and it needs to be traced. Uh, Ronnie, we, we touched on this, I think, last week of what, what you think Antifa is. Do you support maybe the federal government looking into who's paying for all this stuff? And if things are, if basically uh, could be a conspiracy to commit violence across state lines, is this, would this be the job of the federal government to look into? I don't think it's a conspiracy. I, I, I still think it's more of that loose federation of people who want to behave this way because they've been allowed to behave this way. And uh, the, the, the really sad thing about Rand Paul is he was being chased and they were yelling at him to say Breonna Taylor's name. 
um, as if, you know, he needs to affirm that he, he believes that, you know, her death was a tragedy mm-hmm. when he actually sponsored a law called Breonna Taylor's Law. And so it's, it, it's, it's just idiotic. And so I, I don't think Antifa is this, you know, huge conspiratorial thing that's being funded by George Soros or anybody underneath to go out and, you know, attack conservative things. I think it's a bunch of punks who like to get together and burn stuff and riot. And they've been allowed to do it for so long. They keep doing it. That's how bad actors work, right? When you give them room, they act badly. Imagine that. Uh, I disagree. I think it's both. I think it's a bunch of punks who are allowed to get away with things and and you can find more punks. But I also think it's being organized at some level. Someone's paying for this stuff. Someone's keeping this thing going. Someone's organizing this. And I, uh, I agree with Senator Paul. Uh, I think this is something the government should be looking into. I think uh, they should be arresting these people, figuring out who they're communicating with on their phones. If someone's paying for them to travel out of state, stay in a hotel and they're organizing. And uh, particularly if these people are getting arrested previously, and we know in Portland, they get arrested, they let them out without bail. They go out, they get arrested. They let them out without bail, rinse, repeat. Um, For an organization that could potentially be paying expenses for people to go out there knowing that those people are criminals, uh, they're not likely to commit criminal behavior to me constitutes a conspiracy that's my thought on this i gotta tell you though in portland they're not criminals because the district attorney specifically said he will not prosecute them and so they are not criminals they have been have not been convicted of anything they will be uh prosecuted prosecutorial discretion is is, who knew that was going to be such a big weapon to, to wield yep uh, I got uh, one quick, th- one uh, last thing here, Rodney. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe two. But one of these, uh, uh, President speaking and continuing on this idea of violence, uh, Trump sent a memo around basically threatening to defund uh, New York City, Washington, D.C., Seattle, Portland, uh, and other cities that uh, maybe aren't keeping the peace to withhold federal funds. Uh, it was a five-page memo, me- excuse me, a five-page memo ordering all federal agencies to send reports to the Washington House, House Office of Management and budget that details how funds can be redirected. Uh, Those cities I mentioned earlier are the initial targets. Uh, It says, my administration will not allow federal tax dollars to fund cities that allow themselves to deteriorate into lawless zones uh, to ensure that federal funds are neither unduly wasted nor spent in a manner that directly violates our government's promise to protect life, liberty, and property. It's imperative that the federal government review the use of all these federal funds by jurisdictions that permit anarchy, violence, and destruction of American cities. Rodney, is this, uh, what, what do you make of this, this memo from, uh, and the potential to withhold federal funds from cities that allow themselves to burn? I don't make much of it. Most of the funds that flow to cities and even states are on autopilot. They were budgeted a long time ago. They come up for renewal. If he wants to hold something up, it has to be funding for like roads or education or something. Uh, And it's going to be it's going to be hard to make that stick, Uh, particularly when, you know, he's in office, you know, either until January or another four years. I don't know. Uh, But it's. I think it's a lot of uh, a lot of talk and probably not a lot of action. And I think it's poorly directed. It, you're not helping anyone by making life harder in the exact areas that are hard hit by this. I mean, the people that you're actually harming are not any of the protesters. It's the same citizens and business owners who live there and work there. And so if you do not fund whatever it was at the city that was helping them go, particularly at a time when cities and states are running low on their funding, then believe me, you're just making things even better for the protesters who are trying to, you know, demolish and burn what's going on in the city. Uh, it's, uh, Governor Cuomo had a reaction saying if Trump tries to come in and do any of this, he better have an army behind him. Uh, Trump does have an army, doesn't he? 
He kind of does. And, uh, he's got a lot of a lot of security. So you know, I I I thought those were poor words by uh, Governor Cuomo because it's like really he's kind of got the army. Uh, Rodney, you uh, you may have seen this, but a lot of people are moving out of these cities, particularly in New York yeah. City. They're apparently they can't they can't get enough U-Hauls fast enough for people to flee the city. Right. Um, could we be seeing uh, the, the the death of cities in, in, within the next uh, year or two? Of, uh, I mean, what, what's the what's the long term impact of what we've seen from number one COVID and two uh, some of the lawlessness that's been allowed to to go unchecked? Well, COVID's the thing. COVID pulled forward people's um, interest and ability to work from home. Right? It's always been there. We could have used this technology six months ago, um, but we didn't. We didn't want to. And we already had a system set up. We all come in and meet. We get to a conference table. We do our work, whatever. And so this, this kind of forced our hand to accept yeah. this technology faster. And we did it at such a pace that it creates a jar. And, 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 and when I say that, I mean a jarring um, situation. And, and the jarring that's going on here is in the real estate market. It's not about residential housing. That evens out because it's one-to-one, right? I mean, one, one person needs to sell, another person wants to buy, you get right. a bunch of bits, blah, blah, blah. And so if you don't get it, you move a mile further and try it again. That, that does kind of work out. The thing that doesn't work out is office buildings. Th- those, those work in, you know, big chunks. Mm. And you saw Pinterest, uh, uh, bail on a lease for 490,000 square feet in San Francisco last week. And so you're going to see a reset in pricing in commercial real estate markets. And that sounds really boring, but it's really important yeah. because when you reset what you can get per square foot for a building, then you reset all the buildings around it, which makes them worth less. It's not a question of a pretty building or one with a nice view or a swimming pool. This is a building that you can rent out to a big company for X amount of dollars for Y amount of time. And so when you change that, you change the value and all of a sudden, everybody's value goes down. That's going to be the real thing in these large cities for probably the next three or four years as they try to figure out where they are in terms of the value of their buildings, which is going to roll and affect their property taxes and everything else. So it's not the death of New York or San Fran or Chicago or LA or anything, but it certainly is going to be a reset. And the reset is going to roll all the way through their city government because they're not going to have the money that they did before, not just because locals aren't paying taxes, but businesses aren't either. Yeah, same. And then the thing can spiral itself because people have no reason. Well, if my job is no longer in this, uh, if I'm working remotely in the city, I can just work remotely in a, in a nicer environment like out in the country. Uh, well, it's not, just, it's not just nicer. I mean, and so I don't deal with it here. I know you don't there, but I worked in New York, you know, like most of my peers did. And so you're paying a city tax just for the privilege of being there. You're paying yeah. a city income tax. And even if you live, you know, out in Westchester County or, you know, you live in Connecticut or you live in Jersey, when you work in New York, you have to pay that city tax to the city of New York and you have to pay state income tax to the state of New York because that's where you earned it. Yeah. And so when you move out of the city, you immediately get a raise because you're not paying that tax anymore, assuming that you're working from home. Absolutely. Uh, Ronnie, let's hit the last uh, last topic of the day, and then I will let you go. Uh, this is a story about America's favorite mayor, Ted Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, who's now been hounded out of his condo from protesters. Uh, it's, it's absolutely pathetic. The man, uh, the, the, the man refused help, grandstanded, uh, didn't want help from, from, from federal government help from President Trump. Uh, of course, the governor of Oregon is not interested in any of that either. Chaos in the streets. Uh, people hate to ever Everyone hates Ted Wheeler. <laughs> 
not even the protesters whom he's defending like him. They uh, basically broke into his condo building, wouldn't leave, and now uh, Ted uh, is he's moving out of his $840,000 condo. Politics is a good business, Rodney. Uh, he says uh, he says it's, he's apologizing to his neighbors for the for the conflict that it caused. I want to express my sincere apologies for the damage to our home and the fear that you're experiencing due to my position. Uh, it's unfair to all of you. Have no role in politics or in my administration. So Ted, poor Ted, he's he's now gone in hiding. Um, this is really pathetic, Ronnie, isn't it? It's he brought it on himself, of course. <laughs> um, and so start with the positive. I give the man props. He's trying to remove this situation from his neighbors. Uh I'm okay with that, right? Uh, It's a good move on his part. Uh, But the reason that this is going on is because his administration has allowed it. And these bad actors, it's as if, I don't know, the the premise seems to be, well, if you give them what they want, they will stop. No, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And it never, it's never worked that way because there's no, there's no, there's no list. There's no concrete list, definitive number of items that they being these protesters in Portland, this specific group that they want, right? Because it's always the next thing. Yeah. And so when it was the local police and then it was the federal building and then the local police again, and now, you know, Mayor Teargas Ted. And so it's always going to be something. Yeah. And, and, and along the way, Good. you're allowing the everyday citizens and business owners to pay the price. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, I kind of wouldn't like them either because either join the protesters and go with it or do your job. That's yeah. my, my point. Just do your job and get law and order back. There's no appeasing the mob. And what's so funny is uh, what the protesters want is for Wheeler to resign. And because why this may be a surprise because of Ted Wheeler's steadfast support for the police. <laughs> it's too, yeah, it's, it's too it's, hilarious to believe. Yeah. But, but Portland has been a protest town for many, many years. This isn't new out there. And so this is just the latest thing. But it's getting attention because, you know, it was, of course, connected to, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And then President Trump got involved in all those other things. But Portland has had protests for as long as I can remember, certainly at least 20 years. They've been mad about a small group has been mad about something. (laughs) That's that's what they that's how they do it in Portlandia, I guess. I guess. Well, uh, Ted, best of luck. <laughs> hopefully you can find a hole, maybe like Saddam Hussein uh, found a little spot there in Tikrit, and uh, hopefully they won't track you down. <laughs> hey, can- well, that's all we've got for this week. I hope uh, if, you, if you're watching this on Facebook, to hit the, hit the like button and uh, share this video when you, uh, to all of your friends. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, to also comment below, guys. want to know what you think about this. Love to have a conversation. Uh, please hit the like button and subscribe. And head on over to informedamerican.com where you can get real smart news in your inbox. Uh, Rodney, if they go ahead and do that and they share their email, what kind of stories can they expect to get in their inbox over the next coming days? Well, of course, the first day of next week is uh, Labor Day, so it'll be a holiday. But after that, I think we're going to get news of uh, some sort of deal. The Congress is working on a deal. The administration is interested in a deal. Everybody wants to get a deal because they're recognizing that unemployment is remaining high. Around 30 million people are still on long-term, not long-term, but continuing unemployment benefits. And so this isn't going away anytime soon. And so they want to nail down this moratorium on evictions, and they want to get those uh, federal bonus dollars back in people's pockets. And I think that's what's going to be in the news. Great. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America. 
brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.